Good morning. It is a joy and a privilege for me to be here. Um, I'm thankful for your pastor who's become a dear friend in the last couple of years. Um, he's a good man, faithfully preaching God's word. I've been praying for him as he's uh, down there in Southern California. Um, I have a couple of friends who are on the same course that he is, and they've been telling me just how richly blessed they've been by the time they're having down there, which is an encouragement to me because I know he's coming back ready to serve you. So it's a joy for me to be able to help while he's out of town by ministering God's word. Um, A little bit about me before we get to the ministry of God's word. As was said, my name is Kofi. I am 32 years old, just turned 32. I'm pastor of Redeemer Bible Fellowship. I'm on the northeast side of Medford. Um, We've been there since 2019. I am married to Laura, as you heard. We have one son, Gareth, who is two and a half. And I honestly just feel as much as God has been good to me that I am just a simple servant of God. That's all I see myself as. I don't have anything fascinating to tell you. You may pick up an accent. I am indeed from London. Um, I will answer all the questions I usually get. No, I don't like tea and crumpets. No, I have... I did not get to meet the Queen before she died. Um, I did get to meet Prince... Well, he was Prince Charles at the time. That's a story for another time. Um, I did get to meet him. Um, and I do know to drive on the right side of the road here. Um, I get asked that every time I go somewhere. So thought I'd just get that out of the way as we get started. Since I've done that, let's turn our attention to why we're really here, which is the Word of God. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, take it and turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Paul's letter to the Galatians and chapter number six. Galatians and chapter six. The text that we're going to spend our time in this morning will be verses one through five. So Galatians chapter six and verses one through five. I'll give you a moment to get there. Galatians chapter six. Uh, This letter that Paul wrote to the churches in the region of Galatia, Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 through 5. Help me to feel at home for just a moment. Back at our church, I have a stand for the reading of God's word as we come to the sermon. So if you're able to do so, can I invite you to stand with me as we read this portion of God's word together? Galatians chapter 6, and reading from verses 1 to 5. Brothers and sisters, these are God's words. If anyone is caught in any transgression, brothers, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Pray that God will bless that reading of his word and give us understanding as we come to it. Let's pray, ask for God's help, and then we'll get into the word of God this morning. Let's pray. 
Well, Heavenly Father, we would ask that as we open up your word, you would shine light from heaven. We thank you for uh, another opportunity to hear you speak to us as your precious people. And we pray that as we hear your word and we hear your good news preached through that word, that you would encourage, you would challenge, you would equip, you would strengthen, and above all, we ask that Jesus would receive all the glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. I've tagged our text this morning, walking in restoration, walking in restoration. In the tradition that I grew up in, we had this category of songs we called gospel songs. Uh, They weren't quite choruses, but they weren't quite hymns either. Uh, These were, my mom used to call them, the songs that were off the books, so to speak. Uh, They were songs that we all knew, even if we didn't have the words right in front of us. And one of them is a dear favorite of mine, even till this day. Some of you will know it. I'll read the Words of the first verse and the chorus. The chimes of time ring out the news. Another day is through. Someone slipped and fell. Was that someone you? You may have longed for added strength, your courage to renew. Do not be disheartened as I bring hope to you. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. As a kid, I loved hearing that opening verse of that song. And as I, a few months ago, I preached through the letter to the Galatians and I came to this text, uh, these words were just ringing in my mind as I put this message together. Because the the, the reality is that at times Christians do, as the song says, slip and fall. At times Christians do need added strength to renew their courage. And sometimes Christians can get disheartened. Sometimes Christians can lose their way in their walk with the Lord. And sometimes those who are running the race of faith find themselves tripping up and falling right on their proverbial face. And it's easy in those moments for us to think that losing our way or someone losing their way or tripping up as they, as it were, round the curve in the spiritual life means that they're done. That because they slipped, as the song says, they slipped and fell, it's all over. Often you'll hear people talk about the idea of cancel culture in our day and age. I have strong opinions about that. I'll save that for another time. But sometimes Christians can fall prone to a sort of cancel culture if they're not careful. If care isn't taken and we're not careful and deliberate, the danger can be that we see Christians struggle and our first thought is to write them off our first thought so to speak is to cancel them and as we come to a text like Galatians chapter 6 
this morning, it becomes very apparent that actually that's not quite so cut and dry. Yes, Christians struggle, but our first thought as Christians should never be to just cast somebody off and say that they're done. This morning, I want to talk to you about an aspect of our walk in Christ that I don't think we give a lot of thought to. And I think as I was praying and thinking about what best to say to you know, a new family of brothers and sisters that I haven't had a chance to meet yet. I, I, well, some of you, some of you I've known a long time. But I was thinking, what would be most helpful? And I realized this might be helpful because if I believe if you understand the truths that come out of this text, if you understand what Paul is trying to teach us here, it will help you as a body in ministering to one another. Really, Paul's theme in these first five verses of Galatians chapter 6 is the theme of, as I said in our title, restoration. Restoration. In one way or another, we're all familiar, intimately I might say, with the idea of restoration because that's how God deals with us personally. So in Psalm 19 and 7, it says that the law of the Lord, it revives, it restores the soul. In Psalm 23 and 2, God speaks of himself and he says that he is the one who, remember that from Psalm 23? He restores our soul. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. In 1 Peter 5, 10, Peter says, The God of all grace, who had called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore Establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. God promises to, in that passage, use our suffering to restore us, to make us whole, and that gives us perspective as we suffer. Brother and sister, can I put it to you that our God is in the restoration business? But our God, who is in the restoration business, oftentimes uses means to restore his people. And sometimes, this is what I want to get out in this message, sometimes the means that he uses to restore his people are his people. Sometimes the means by which God restores fallen saints it's through fallen saints. <laughs> and so I, I asked a question as we get started this morning. How equipped do you feel to help someone who needs restoration? If someone called you and said, brother, sister, I, I'm in a bad way spiritually and I need some help. What would you do? How would you handle that moment? And I put it to you, by the way, that if you're a believer for any length of time, you will have moments like that. You will have people come to you and say, sometimes it can be very mild, sometimes it can be pretty serious, but I'm struggling in my faith and I need help. How would you handle that? Well, this morning as we come to the sixth chapter of Galatians, Paul is going to help us in learning how to help each other when we need a little bit of support. Um, we're kind of parachuting into Galatians, so allow me to set up the context for just a moment. The letter to the Galatians is one of Paul's earliest, 
And Paul doesn't write under the most pleasant of circumstances. In chapter 1, he makes it clear that these Christians that he had preached the gospel to, they had heard the gospel directly from him. These Christians had received a message that claimed to be the gospel, but it really wasn't. And this false gospel, it wasn't that they had just heard it. A good number of them had believed this false gospel. And so Paul takes pen in hand and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes a letter to forcefully wake up these Christians and remind them of the gospel that they had heard. To remind them of the good news that their sins were forgiven, not because they had kept the law of Moses, which is what this false teaching said, but because they had placed their faith in Jesus. And so chapter after chapter of Galatians, he pounds on this false teaching from every angle possible and he reminds them, this is not the gospel you heard. And since this is not the gospel you heard, this is not the gospel you should believe in. And as he comes to chapter 5, he kind of switches gears. He moves from the theological and the doctrinal, as it were, and he starts to get practical. He starts to get practical because this false teaching, it appears, had had some effects on how they treated one another. Can I pause for a moment and say that's why it's important that you're not swayed by all kinds of false teaching that's out there? Because false teaching isn't just bad ideas. Bad ideas lead to bad behavior. And if you're not careful, the people you listen to and the things you hear can have you not just believing the wrong thing, but doing the wrong thing. And so Paul has to correct even their understanding of the Christian life and how they behave. And as he comes to chapter 6, he starts to deal with how do you deal with each other as a body? And really in chapter 6, this whole chapter has the theme of support. The theme of support so in verses 1 through 5 that we're going to look at. It's how to support those who stumble. The next section, 6, 6 to 10, answers the question of how do you support those who serve? That's not our message for today. Our message is how do you support those who stumble? How can you be used by God for the restoration of other Christians? If you don't remember anything else, I have to say this message. This is my big idea. This is the one thing I would love for you to take home from this message. The gospel, the good news of salvation found only in Jesus alone and received by faith. The gospel frees us to help restore others who are struggling in their spiritual walk. Let me say that again. The gospel The good news of salvation found only in Jesus and received by faith alone. The gospel frees us to help restore others who are struggling in their spiritual walk. For the rest of my time with you this morning, I want to look at three lessons that we can learn from this text. Three lessons for helping to restore tripped up Christians. How can you be used by God in ministering to one another when you find yourselves tripped up in your faith? Three lessons that come out of this text. I have a lot to say and I don't want to be here too long, so let me get moving. The the first lesson that we encounter from this passage is this, that restoration involves 
patching up the court up. Restoration involves patching up the court up. We see that in verse 1 of our text. Restoration involves patching up the court up. So look with me in your Bibles. You want to keep that passage open. We're going to refer to it a bunch. Paul says, if anyone is caught in a transgression, brothers, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on your own self, lest you too be tempted. There's a lot in that one verse, so allow me to break it down a little bit. Firstly, Paul reminds us that believers will get caught up. Believers will get caught up. So again, look at verse 1. Look how he starts. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, similar translations will say caught up or overtaken. Uh, the word overtaken carries this idea of surprise, that something that comes up on someone suddenly and without warning. And he says, if anyone is caught in, caught up by, overtaken in any wrongdoing, that's an interesting term, wrongdoing. It's not our standard Bible word for sin. Uh, the, the standard word for Sin in your Bible is the word that just means missing the mark. Uh, That's not the word that's used here. This word here carries with it a sense of unintentionality, if I can use that term. It carries this sense of something that's happened that you weren't intending to happen. One author puts it like this. He says, quote, It is likely that Paul is not thinking of behavior which so flagrantly flouts accepted behavior that it brings the church into public disrepute, disrepute, excuse me, or which can be best dealt with by a temporary withholding of fellowship. This is not a settled course of action, (coughs) excuse me, but an isolated action which may make the person who does it feel guilty. When he says wrongdoing here, he's not talking about somebody who you knew what you were doing. My mum used to say, um, she was teaching me to cook as she felt very strong that her son should learn how to cook. So she was teaching me to cook as a kid. And one day she gave me a recipe and I completely did not follow the recipe. I did not pay attention. I put the wrong thing in at the wrong time and it was a complete mess. And she looked at me and she said, son, when you picked up that spatula, you knew you were doing wrong. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's not talking about the person who, you knew this was a bad idea and you went ahead and did it anyway. That's not who Paul is speaking to here. If that sounds strange to you, I'm not going to ask you to say this out loud, but think to your own experience as Christians. How many times have you found yourself doing the wrong thing and you weren't planning on doing the wrong thing? We're in church, don't tell lies. We've all at some point found ourselves like, I really wasn't thinking about doing this. And I found myself doing this. Even God recognizes this. Those of you who know your Old Testament, you know that there was a distinction in the Old Testament between sins that were done intentionally. In fact, the Old Testament term is sins done with a high hand, that you, you were defiant in doing what you did. But the Old Testament also said there were sins that were unintentional. For the note takers in the room, Numbers 15, 27 to 31. 
God has a whole provision in his law for sins that are committed unintentionally. Why? Because unintentional sins happen. I'm early in the message, but I'm going to call a time out here. I feel the need to say something that may be news to some of you. I hope it's not. But it might be news for some of you. If you're surprised that Christians sin, you won't know what to do when they sin. If you have this idea that Christians are perfect all the time and they never get it wrong, they never fall into sin, they never make mistakes. And again, I'm not talking intentional sin. I'm talking the kinds of sins that Paul describes here. Mistakes. If you're surprised that Christians sin in that sort of way, you won't know what to do when they do. Beloved, it's not an if. It's not that if Christians sin. You know it by your own experience that sometimes it's not an if, it's just a matter of when. And I don't say that to teach a sort of easy believism that says, sin all you want and God, I'm, I'm not, please, please, please hear me. I am not saying that. But what I am saying is, sometimes Christians who sin don't need a heavy hand, they need a helping hand. Sometimes Christians, might I put it to you that sometimes Christians who sin often need gospel-centered help as they pursue sanctification, as they pursue growth in godliness. The last thing they need is a heavy-handed approach. If you understand that believers will get caught up, you're well on your way to being able to help other believers. But here's the reality. When believers get caught up, here's the second thing we learn from verse 1. Believers should be the ones to pick them up. So do you see, again, look at verse 1. It says, brothers, if anyone is... Read for a different translation here. Brothers, if anyone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person. In a spirit of gentleness. When believers stumble, it's other believers. Believers who are walking in the spirit, it is other believers who are tasked with the restoration of that person. This term restores an interesting one. It was a medical one. It was used of resetting a bone that was broken or repairing a dislocated limb. Um, I am a slightly big guy. Have been pretty much my entire life. And once upon a time, I used to use that size in playing a game called rugby. If you don't know what rugby is, it's... I was going to say something really funny, but I won't say that. Just to say it's kind of like American football, but not. <laughs> I was going to say something about how we actually don't wear pads, but anyway, um, I'll save that for another time. But one of the injuries that is very common on the rugby field is a dislocated shoulder. Remember the first time it happened to me, I was... 12 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm a defensive player. I'm a back, as they call them in rugby. So I went in for a tackle. The guy knew I was coming. 
And we, I got the guy, but he also got a good bit of my shoulder. And I felt a pain that I had never felt before in my life. Tried to move my arm and my arm wouldn't move. I thought, oh gosh, they're going to cut my arm off. Like, this is like... This is why my mom did not want me to play rugby. Um, so I, I'm kind of, I get up and I'm like, my arm hurts, I can barely move it. And one of the older players on the team kind of motions over to me. He, says, he looks at it, he's like, okay, you dislocated your shoulder. And then he says, hey, Kofi, is that your mom? What? And I don't know what he did. All I knew is it hurt for about five seconds and then my arm felt fine. He's like, just popped it back in. You okay? Like, take a couple minutes. Someone else, like, shake it off, go back in. It's the same kind of idea as this word here. Kind of repairing something that's dislocated or resetting something that's broken. In the moral sense, it speaks to uh, bringing someone back to a position of wholeness or soundness. Paul doesn't say that the believer is to punish the struggling saint. He says the believer is to help the struggling saint. And why is it that you can help your brother or your sister who's struggling? Can I put it to you? You can do that because you know what it is to struggle. Because you know what it is to need help. In fact, that's the third thing Paul teaches us in this first verse. So believers should, believers will get caught up. Believers should Pick believers up. Thirdly, believers should act in humility. So again, look at the end of verse one. What does he say? He says, keep watch on yourself. Excuse me, end of verse one. You who are spiritual should restore such one in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This work of restoring Falling saints, this work of restoring struggling saints, this work is done in humility with a right recognition that we too are prone to temptation. We are prone to failure. Have you ever been counseled by somebody who clearly thought they were better than you? Have you ever been helped, and I put helped in air quotes, have you ever been helped by someone who clearly thinks they are smarter than you? Let me put this in spiritual terms. I don't know about you, but there's lots about the churches I grew up in that I love and lots I didn't love. One of the things I didn't love was that oftentimes I found myself when I was growing up, I grew up in church, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in churches with people who you knew you could never confess a sin to. I mean, it was more complicated because I was the pastor's son, but just in general, you knew you couldn't tell these people you were struggling. Because if you did, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, they come down on you like a ton of bricks. The Bible tells us, James chapter 5, verse 16, that we're to confess our faults to one another. But let's face it, sometimes there can be believers who make that command a challenge. How can I confess my faults to you when you don't want to help? Can I put it to you? I'm sure you know this, but I feel the need to just reaffirm it today. The church is not for perfect people. 
The church exists for the weary, for the weighed down, for the heavy hearted, for those who are struggling and know they are. I'm not sure who needs to hear this, but the the church is not a country club for the well put together. It's a hospital for the sick and the needy. People should be able to come here and find the cure for what ails them. We call it the gospel. And if we are unable to act in humility and to act in the kind of way that causes struggling saints to want to come to us, we're going to be short-circuited when it comes to serving in this kind of ministry. So Paul says, first of all, that restoration involves patching up the caught up. But there's a second lesson we learn from our text in verses 2 and 3. The second lesson we learn is that restoration involves picking up the weighed down. Restoration involves picking up the weighed down. So verse 2, do you see what he says there? Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. In this way you fulfill the law of Christ. You see, sometimes the struggling saint isn't so much grappling with sin. Sometimes it's sin. And sometimes it's something else. When I was first getting into the ministry, my pastor back in London had me memorize the verse. He said, it will help you, Kofi, in dealing with people. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. And we exhort you, brothers, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. He said, Kofi, every person you deal with in ministry is one of those four. Some people are idle. The word idle there means out of order. Those people you warn. Some people are discouraged. That word discouraged literally means they're small-souled. They're they're tender little things. Those people you don't warn, you comfort. Some people are weak. You help them. And if you don't know which of them they are, everybody's part of everyone, so help everyone. (laughs) And be patient with them. Paul's reiterating that kind of thing here in Galatians 6.2. He says that we are to carry one another's burdens. Just a few observations. Number one, this is a command. This is not a suggestion. It's not some people carry burdens and others not. No, Paul says, no, if you're a believer, this is what you do. If you're a believer, you carry one another's burdens. It's an imperative. Not only is it a command, it's an active command. This is part of the ongoing life of the church. The the church is constantly in the business of carrying one another's burdens sometimes there are specific seasons where we do that and sometimes we just have the readiness to do that it's a command it's an active command it's a corporate command this is not written to an in- one individual this is not just the pastor's job or the elder's job this is every christian's job Every Christian is called to carry the burdens, the strains that weigh down other believers. I talk about this concept at our church a lot. I talk about the idea of being a spiritual Pollyanna. Some of you have seen the movie Pollyanna. Not my favorite movie for a number of reasons. (laughs) 
But some people have the kind of what I like to call spiritual Pollyanna syndrome. I, I mean, yes, the Bible commands us to be joyful. I'm not talking about that. Some people are just joyful all the time. Praise the Lord for them. We need them. I'm not talking about that, though. I'm talking about those who have this kind of affect about them where basically you're not allowed to talk about struggling. You're not, to talk, you're not allowed to talk about, you know, I'm kind of just finding the Christian life hard. You know, they are, as one author put it, the purveyors of spiritual Xanax. I'm struggling. Philippians 4.8. Rejoice in the Lord. Like, I know I'm supposed to rejoice in the Lord, but I don't feel like it right now. <laughs> Why are you always talking about that? That's not the kind of thing that Paul is encouraging here. Well, we serve a savior who, Matthew 11, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. He recognizes that sometimes people are weary. And sometimes even Christians get weary. The heart of Christ towards his own is not one of frustration because Christians are weary or they're going through a rough time. No, Jesus' heart towards his own is one of unending grace and bottomless love. That's why the Bible can say 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. First Peter 5, 7. Some of you maybe love this verse. Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Think about this. If Jesus cares for believers, we probably want to be on the same side as him. And we show that we care for one another when we carry one another's burdens. And Paul makes it clear, verse 2, that uh, carrying one another's burdens is a fulfillment of the law of Christ. Christ commanded us to love one another. That's the new commandment, John chapter 13. The way in which we fulfill that, brothers and sisters, is exactly by caring for one another. If I can put it to you like this, the shape of this kind of caring for one another, this kind of carrying one another's burdens, it's cruciform. You know what I mean when I use that term? It's shaped like the cross. It's shaped by the cross. We bear one another up when we are weighed down, knowing it could cost us everything, precisely because that's the kind of love that's been shown to you and has been shown to me. And as a result, verse 3, it levels the playing ground. So Paul can say, for if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If you are the beneficiary of grace, if you are the beneficiary of Christ's love, which then inspires and motivates your love for one another, how can you not operate with grace when believers are struggling? And can I put it to you, Applegate Community Church, that the day that we become forgetful of the fact that we are forgiven and cleansed and washed people, the day that we forget that the God who did all of that for 
you will do that for other people. The day that you forget that, the day that I forget that, the day that any believer forgets that is the day that they are no longer spiritually useful. Restoration involves patching up the court up. It involves picking up the way down. One more lesson from our text. There's a third lesson. See in verses four and five. Restoration involves perceiving where we stand. Restoration involves perceiving where we stand. So verses four and five, what does Paul say to us? But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. If we're going to be in the business of being a restoring influence in the lives of other believers who struggle, that's going to come with some dangers. This is not light work. One of the dangers he identifies in verse 4 is pride. Pride. I'm from the UK. We have a lot of Anglican bishops running around. Um, It's reported that one such bishop uh, once told his pastors who were underneath him that there was a confusion in the mind of many Christians, which identified the apostolic command to bear one another's burdens with judging other people's burdens. You see, the reality is this ministry of ministering to one another, of restoring one another. This is not for people who are prideful. This is not for people who, in the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, who classify or compare themselves with themselves. Remember what Paul says about that? Those of you who know that passage? He says, comparing themselves to themselves, I grew up in the King James Version. Permit me this for a moment. The King James Version says, comparing themselves with themselves They become fools. They lack understanding. No, Paul says, no, you do not want to go into this with the spirit of pride and boasting in yourself, actually. Verse four, he says, let each person examine his own work. Then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. Paul isn't saying, let's be clear, Paul isn't saying, well, make sure that you have everything right. And then you're in a position where you can be proud of yourself or how, that's not his point. The word pride here can be translated boasting. It's the idea of you focus on your own walk with the Lord. You take care of your walk with the Lord. And on that final day, rather than saying, well, Lord, I'm not like that person. Rather than that, you'll be able to say, Lord, I'm exactly what you called me to be. There's a bit of an undertone of these false teachers that the Galatians were dealing with. Pride comes up over and over and over again in this letter in relation to them. They wanted to take pride in the Galatians and the fact that they had been circumcised and that they had been, as it were, Submitted to them. And Paul says, that's how you do ministry in the flesh. But ministry in the spirit is done very differently. Ministry in the flesh might want to take pride in self. But ministry in the spirit 
desires to serve one another, not make a name for ourselves. And why do we do this? Verse 5. For each person will have to bear his own load. This term for load here is different from the word for burden that we saw in verse 1. This carries the idea of responsibility. It carries this idea of the, actually it was the kit bag that a soldier would carry. The equipment that he had to be responsible for as a soldier. This ministry, Paul's reminding us, is not a ministry of becoming a busybody. Again, I grew up in church. I knew a lot of busybodies. I mean, you know the type. They're, they're the folks who are always in everybody's business. And if they aren't, they make it their business to be in everybody's business. Again, I was a pastor's kid. I was surrounded by them. And it was always funny to me. As I got older, um, I wasn't converted to the age of 14. Um, that's a whole other story. I'll share my testimony maybe the next time I come back. I grew up in church and didn't hear the gospel until I was 13. While I didn't hear the gospel to the age of 13, you know what I heard a lot of? Did you hear about so-and-so? They did this. And again, it was always like, why, why are you saying this when a kid is around? Like, don't you know that kids have no ability to keep things to themselves? I have a two and a half year old I mentioned. I'm scared for the day when he can talk because he already likes to blabber a lot. But these people don't care. Always in somebody's business. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You serve your brother and sister not to be in their business. But you serve your brother and sister precisely because you have your own responsibility. You know the nature of your own spiritual walk with the Lord. And so you need to take care of yourself. And while you're ministering to them, you're not there to be in their business. You're there to glorify the Lord. As I conclude, you may gather I'm kind of passionate about this. And the reason I'm passionate about this is the church doesn't exist for itself. Do you recognize that? The church doesn't exist for itself. The church doesn't exist. You don't exist for yourself. The Bible makes it very clear. You exist to serve your brother and sister. You exist to glorify God first and foremost, to serve your brother and sister, and to see those who don't know the Lord come to know him. And part of how it is we serve one another is that when we find ourselves struggling in our walk, when we find ourselves stumbling in our walk, it should never be the case that the believer feels, I can't talk to anybody. I can't ask anybody for help. I can't reach out to anybody. And by the way, it shouldn't be the case that our first thought is, the pastor needs to know about this. Sometimes help your pastor out. You help. He didn't ask me to say that. I'm saying that because I have the microphone and he's not here. (laughs) Sometimes God isn't asking you to palm that person who's struggling off on somebody else. He's asking you to help that person. And as you help that person, you are demonstrating what Christ did for us. 
See, the Bible tells us that while we were helpless, Romans chapter 5, Christ died for us. We weren't struggling. Like my mom said, remember? We picked up the spatula and we knew we were wrong. But God was good to us, wasn't he? The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, favorite verse in the New Testament, Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If Christ was willing to die for us who weren't just struggling, but we were out and out rebellious. Brother and sister, we can extend a little grace to a struggling saint, can't we? We can help one another. We can help support one another. We can walk in the kind of restoration that the world outside looks on at us and says, wow, they really take care of their own, don't they? They don't destroy one another. They don't just chew them up and spit them out. No, when they're hurt, they care for one another. I'll leave you with this. It was said of Christians in first century Rome that often when they would be seen in public, non-Christians would say, see how they love one another. Applegate, my prayer for you is the same as it is for my church. My prayer is that all of you would be characterized by that kind of love. Not as a duty, not as something that's, okay, I need to add this to my workload. No, but as a manifestation of the grace of God shown to you in the gospel. And I would be remiss before I ended this sermon. I don't know the state of everybody's soul here. Maybe you've heard all of this and you're not a Christian. I've been speaking primarily to believers this morning. But maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Can I remind you that God is holy. God is the perfect creator. He made us in his image. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned and fell. And when they fell, we fell in them. We are plagued by the problem of sin by nature. And given enough time, we are sinners by practice. But God was merciful and he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He lived the perfect life of righteousness. And then he went to the cross and he died for every person who would repent and put their faith in him. And so if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, you've not had that great and most important restoration, the restoration of your soul from sin, can I encourage you to turn in faith to him? Let's pray together. Our gracious Savior, we thank you so much that you are the God who restores, that you are the God who mends what is broken. That you are the God who resets that which is broken. Who relocates that which is dislocated. And oh my father, I ask that you would use us as believers. That you would use this church. You would use all our churches. In that ministry of serving one another in restoration. 
so that we may honor you, that we may display the good news of your gospel to a world that is watching, that your church would be built up, and that ultimately Jesus would be glorified. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.